Hello and welcome to episode Sylvain Turgeon of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your co-host Colin Cudmore, joined as always by my fellow co-host Trevor Shackles. The NHL trade deadline has come and gone, and it's been a busy week for the Ottawa Senators. There's been six trades made in the last week alone, four of which were just today uh, as of recording. And we're dedicating this episode specifically to analyzing these trades. And I have a feeling this is going to be a bit of a long episode because there's a lot to go through. So uh, we may as well just jump into this. Uh, First trade was Dylan DeMello uh, traded a few days ago to Winnipeg for a third round pick straight up one for one. That was all. Uh, what were your what were your initial thoughts on the deal, Trevor? You know, Colin, I I really got a feel for Craig Medaglia. He <laughs> he gets someone like Dylan DeMello, who is just fantastic, um, fantastic content for within the dressing room, doing those video game things. Uh, DeMello being a phenomenal interviewer with with his teammates. And, you know, Craig gets all this content from him. And he's had a lot of these guys shipped out recently. Um, you know, where he can't work with them anymore. So if I, that's like the one, the one person who I feel bad for in this situation with this <laughs> trade, but um, getting into the hockey side of things. Yeah. I, I think we're both, uh, I think we're both along the same lines here. I think we both definitely really wanted him re-signed. I, I would have been more than comfortable giving him three years and an extension. Um, and I don't think he's going to be that expensive on the market. I just, I don't think teams are going to be even willing to give him that much money so um you know if he had a a contract with three million dollars for the next three seasons i think that's great value um you know who knows what he'll actually get um but yeah i just thought it was a mistake to move him and the fact that they could only get a third was pretty disappointing as well especially considering when you looked at the other deals i mean andy green getting a second and a prospect it's just that that was a bit annoying especially you know that that green happened that green trade happened just a day before so uh yeah not not the greatest look yeah i got to agree with you there and before the trade i wasn't exactly on the same page as this cuz i was kind of on the side of, of just trade everybody get as much picks as uh, get as many picks as possible but I, I don't know i look at this defense core now and yeah i guess i'm kind of worried for guys like Shabbat, um Brandstrom and uh, even Christian Malenin and who are they going to have on the right side now to help them out and Dylan DeMello, I mean, let's not get it, get ourselves wrong here. He was, a, he has been having a fantastic season and, and could probably be, or he has been Tom Shabbat's best partner this season and um, has have been having a strong season. So um, he definitely is like that good fit for that right side for the sense moving forward. Um, e- even though he's he's not technically a young guy anymore, but like mm-hmm. who, who who's gonna re- who's gonna replace him now? I mean, are they gonna re-sign Ron Hainsey? Because I, I really hope they aren't gonna do that. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, if they got a better return for DeMello, maybe I'd be talking a bit differently. But yeah, third round pick for who I, I consider at least to be the second best defenseman on uh, heading into free agency this year after Alex Pietrangelo. Um, I mean, it's uh, definitely a bit underwhelming. And I, again, as you mentioned, it wasn't just Andy Green return that really uh, set the market and then uh, made the sense fall below expectations. But afterwards as well there, there are like three other trades maybe marco scandella on the same day that fetch yep. better returns and these are all Dylan. defensemen <laughs> yeah who these are all defensemen who are, are having worse seasons than demello and provide less value than demello so um yeah just overall pretty disappointed with this trade um i think it was definitely the Sens weakest trade of uh the tra- trade deadline week um mm-hmm. yeah anything else to say to that i mean I, i'm curious on your th- uh, your thoughts about this. What would you say to people that say, I, I, I've seen a few people um, sort of bring these things up that, 
you know, Ottawa's definitely had a te- Ottawa fans, I should say, have definitely had a tendency to, um, and myself included, uh, overrate some some players who are you know good analytically and maybe a bit undervalued, and then they sort of go somewhere else and you know didn't provide much much value. And I think a, a good comparison there is Patrick Weirkoch, who. I would still argue to this day that he was actually pretty valuable in his time yeah. in Ottawa, but for whatever reason, you know, just didn't stick anywhere afterwards. So what would you say to someone who is saying that DeMello is just going to be like that moving forward? Um, I, I, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, the results are results and uh, DeMello's results have been better than the defensemen who are treated for more. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, I can't really slice it any other way than that, uh, other than that, uh, um, I, I guess maybe other teams around the league just don't see DeMello as as high an asset, which I mean, I guess that's I guess that's how it turned out to be. But um, these are negotiating factors that Dorian should be using. And uh, I mean, if they saw that he's been having such a strong impact, I mean, it also just speaks to. Um, I, I guess it seems like the Senators may not may not notice this either, because if 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 DeMello was asking for a reasonable contract, which I, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible that DeMello was asking for more of a contract in the sense we're willing to to go for, but he, he seeing, seeing the value he's been providing to the team this season, um, I, I guess it seems like the Suns have, have been under or have been underrating him just as much as the other teams around the league this year. So it's a bit disapp- disappointing to see for uh, DeMello, who I think has been a, a good redemption story since coming mm-hmm. from San Jose and has been um, one of the better assets uh, acquired from uh, the Carlson trade. So, um, yeah, uh, just, just, just disappointed overall. Wish they could have gotten more. Uh, I mean, a third round pick's nice. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about the Sens Hall of Draft picks later, but uh, yeah, they, they could have done better. Yeah, for sure. And and I think one last interesting thing to point out too is that DJ Smith did seem to like him. Maybe not necessarily as much as Nikita Zaitsev, but he yeah. was, you know, he had talked about how DeMello is one of the more underrated players in the league. So, um, you know, that that is quite interesting that despite Smith liking him, apparently, um, Dorian wasn't willing to to give him, you know, too much money. So um, it's unfortunate, especially just because he was a really likable guy off the ice. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. So, we should... Yeah. So I guess let's move on to the second trade. Yeah. This one's a very minor one. We'll only spend a couple minutes on this. But uh, uh, Max Verano was sent to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, he was uh, uh, signed in the offseason by the Sens. He's a local Ottawa guy who was a college free agent. Um, sent to the Leafs for, uh, I think it was Aaron. Yeah, it was Aaron Luchuk, and there was a pick involved too, I believe. But I, it's, it's such a, it's such a minor deal that has such little yeah. impact that it's 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 you're not even talking about. Uh, they got Josh Archibald on the corresponding move. I'm just kind of talking about this trade for the sake of completion. D- Darren Archibald. Darren Archibald. Sorry, yeah, Darren Archibald, not Josh Archibald. Um, so yeah, uh, it's uh it's too bad that Verano didn't really work out in Ottawa. Um, I, I mean uh, he uh, had he had some great college results last year, but of course uh, being one of the oldest players in uh, in the league, I mean yeah, you got to adjust for those two factors. But I don't know, we aren't going to spend too much time on that. I think we should just move on to Vladislav Domestikov, and yeah, this is moving on to it. today. Uh, so the first trade of this morning. Uh, Vladislav Nemesnikov traded to the Colorado Avalanche for a fourth round pick straight up. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, essentially what it turns out being is Ottawa moves down in the fourth round, say 20 spots or so. 
and they lose Nicky Burt, who, you know, just an AHL defenseman. I'm sure Belleville could use him, but, um, you know, he wasn't going to be an NHL contributor. So essentially moving down 20 spots um, for the price. Or, and in return, they got Nemestikov in the NHL to sort of mentor the young players and hold down a position in the NHL, which it'd be nice if Dorian could have gotten a third. I thought he was going to at least get that. Totally. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's not a huge deal. Like, I'm not really going to complain too much about it. Um, if they had moved down around, then that would have been pretty bad. But it's it is what it is. Yeah, it's just a little bit underwhelming for me. Um, especially in, in the days leading up, it seemed like there was more interest surrounding Nemestikov, and I thought the Sens may even be able to get uh, like a steal of a deal on this one, but uh, I guess that's what I get for getting my expectations high on the Sens sometimes. But um, I, for me, it's just a matter that they got something at least and that they didn't uh, hold back on uh, on trading him. And I don't know if that even deserves credit at that point, that it was kind of the obvious thing to do was to just get something for Nemestikov. So um, the fact they did it, um, sure kudos to that i guess yeah um and yeah I, I don't think there's too much else to say there it seems like nemestikov was never really truly being considered to be re-signed but um yeah. let, let's get to the big trade of the day and obviously that is the trade of jean, jean gabriel pajot to the new york islanders um that one came it must have been 10 minutes or less after the nemestikov deal yeah felt um, like it. yeah so it was just boom boom really quick and I remember the first tweets were saying, I think it was from Darren Dreger saying that a lot is coming back to Ottawa yeah. in return. So that definitely got it us excited. So, yeah. So the deal <laughs> ended up being a first round pick this year. Um, it moves to next year if the Islanders win the lo- miss the playoffs and win the lottery, which is obviously very unlikely. So it's a first round pick no matter what. Uh, second round pick this year. And then also a third round pick in 2022 i think if they win the cup yeah so it's almost certainly a 2020 first and second round pick which is just an absolute bounty oh totally and and that's exactly the type of of uh return i was looking i was hoping for for a pajot trade was uh to get a first round pick and then something else whether it be a prospect or second round pick and and to get that second round pick i, I think is uh especially from the islanders too i think it makes it uh, kind of makes it important um but yeah, I think it's also yeah, it's also worth talking about the lead up to this trade because there there's there's a lot of confusion surrounding a bunch of this, especially with the Sens negotiations with Pajot on trying to get an extension done. It really seemed like in the days leading up that it was really going to go back or it, it was it felt very 50-50. It could go one way, it could go the other. Mm-hmm. Um and it wasn't until the trade was announced that that we had like any sort of clue as to what would happen. So um to me it was actually confusing that the Sens uh, didn't even start negotiations with Pajot until just a few days before the deadline. And it, it even in, in Dorian's press conference after the after the deadline, it, 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 the messages seemed kind of confusing to me. Like they, they he was talking about how it was their plan. It's all part of their plan for the rebuild. But they're also talking about how it was their plan to sign Pajot. And if he wouldn't sign, then they were going to trade it. So and then they were going to trade him for picks. So um, kind of confused messaging on the part of the Sens. Not sure, entirely sure what they're planning on accomplishing by holding off negotiations until uh, a few days before. And even then, uh, if they re-signed Pajot to a decent deal, I, I, I would have been honestly kind of fine with that. I mean, looking at the return they got now, a first and a second, I mean, it would be the opportunity cost would certainly be lost on that. And I think the uh, 
probably did a good good job on uh, on pouncing on that. But um, yeah, and just wondering what what your thoughts might have been on uh, even just the fact that they traded Pajot instead of re-signing him. What are your thoughts on that? Right. Well, I, I think in this case, I think multiple things can be true. So um, yeah, you were talking about how the messaging for Pajot was a bit odd because I think deep down Dorian really did want to keep him. Um, and yeah, like, like you're saying, I, I would have been fine if they were able to keep him as well. Um, in an ideal situation, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about specific dollars and, and term and things like that, but that's not the reality. So I, I would have loved if they w- were able to keep him for the next three seasons for maybe like $4 million or something. But once you get af- more than that, uh, I just don't think he's worth it, especially um, we should mention for the listeners who don't yeah. know, he immediately signed a six year extension with a $5 million cap hit. And that is just, I mean, that's kind of an irresponsible contract i think like a six-year contract for a guy who is 28 or he will be 28 um when the deal starts it just it it seems like a lot for someone who is probably going to be on the islanders third line so i would definitely i I think everyone would be roasting dorian if he had given that deal to pajo so i'm incredibly happy that he didn't do that and also the fact that they got you know two really solid picks in return. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think it's, um, I, I think it's really important to point out that these aren't, or this isn't a first round pick from say Tampa or Boston. Islanders could be picking in the high teens, just like Columbus did last year when we, uh, Ottawa got their 19th overall pick. So definitely it's, yeah, it's actually like a pretty good first round pick. And yeah, I think, yeah. uh, it turned out as well as you could have hoped pretty much. Totally. And uh, yeah, speaking of that pick, I mean, the Islanders are currently first in the wildcard uh, rankings right now. And I think they're on, I'm pretty sure it's, they'd face the Washington Capitals if the playoffs were to start today. And I, I don't really like their odds against the Capitals, but, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is good. But also talking about the contract, I mean, the Islanders are the same team that gave Ross Johnson a four-year contract. So it's not like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's surprising that they are the ones who are willing to give, give term to Pajot because they seem pretty liberal with that in the past but yeah for me it really came down to the the term and if Pajo was not willing to go for a three-year deal or or with Ottawa then then yeah I think trading would have definitely been the best route kind of as you mentioned and yeah six years um for Pajo yeah it, it, it that's as much as I enjoy Pajo and I'll argue that he's top six center in the NHL right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I I think six years for Pajot, especially especially in this end situation where he won't be as useful in even just a couple years. um, Yeah, that just wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, and I I think um, I'm trying to find this this quote from him. I think it's um, important to read. He Pajot had some quote about re-signing. Do you remember where it was or what it was uh, like where that was posted? Uh, not entirely sure. I just remember him talking about him vomiting. Okay. Um, I, I don't have the exact quote up, um, but it, it was something about uh, how he was willing to re-sign in, in, in New York so quickly because of the fact that they have this new rink coming and they have a commitment to winning. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's kind of an, another slap in the face to Melnick and, and the team. And, you know, I, I don't take any issue with the comment. I think that's that's totally valid. Um but yeah, it's just sort of funny to to see the comparison between these two teams where Islanders seem like they're they're on the upswing, in, at least in terms of 
you know, a rink and financials and things like that. But um, yeah, let's get into this debate then about top right, six center. Do, do you want to do you want to get your points in? <laughs> sure. All right. So uh, I don't know if you missed us on on Twitter the other day, but Trevor and I had a bit of a, <laughs> a, a showdown on uh, whether Jean Gabriel Pajot is a top six center, and I believe he is, and I think. Uh, today only proved that with the return he fetched on the, on the, for first and second as a rental, or I shouldn't say as a rental, but uh, as a potential rental at the time uh, before he signed that deal. But uh, my argument for Pajot being a top six center revolves around uh, mostly the analytics, which I think should be no surprise to you given uh, uh, how I like to analyze the Sens. But uh, Pajot was first on the Sens in both goals above replacement um, via Evolving Wild um, and, and expected goals above replacement. Um, a shout out to uh, Evolving Hockey, uh, go support them on Patreon. And he wasn't only just the Sens leader on that, he was the leader by a long shot. Like, he was, like, they were very, there's only a select handful of players who were even like um, providing like above one win above replacement. I believe Pajot, or one goal above replacement, I believe Pajot was above 10 this season, which I think is. Um, it, 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 it speaks pretty well to how well he's been doing this season. He's been having a positive impact offensively, a passive in, positive impact defensively. His impact on the penalty kill is unquestionable. He's even been having a great impact this year on the power play. Um, he draws a lot of penalties. He doesn't take many penalties at all. He, he has excellent penalty differential. So at this point, like, even though he's not putting up the points, I'm not really sure what other, what other argument that we can make against him. Um, to say that he's not a top six center. He just really has it all there this season. And I'm glad that the Sens were able to get the return that they got that uh, kind of reflected that. Yeah, and and that, and those are totally fair. And I, obviously, I can't speak against War and, and Gar. You know, I've, I've used those things in the past as well. Um, and and as we were both saying on Twitter, point, points are definitely flawed. I mean, you shouldn't be evaluating a player just by points, especially if we're talking about defensemen. Um, so, you know, Pajot is obviously not a D-man, but um, I don't know. I just, I mean, this season, for sure, I, I would definitely argue he's a top six center. That's that's pretty much, that's no doubt. He's got 40 points in 60 games. That's pretty damn good. Um, but, you know, he's, he's shooting 17.8% this season. His career is at 10.8. Um, he's averaged 35 points a season. Um and yeah, I, I know I literally just said that you can't measure everything by points, but I don't know. I just, to me, I can't, because the end goal of a hockey game is obviously to score these goals, to get these points. And if he's contributing offensively as as much as he should be, or as much as it shows, I just think it should show up more in the points, you know? And I, I the defensive um, aspects aren't going to show up in those points. And I'm willing to concede that if he was maybe getting 45 points or something like that every single season consistently, I think I'd be more open to the idea, but um, yeah, I don't know. He just, I mean, he had 29 points two seasons ago. That was a bad season for everybody, but, and, and even last year, he didn't inspire too much confidence with 12 and 39. Um yeah, I, I just know I wouldn't be super comfortable with him being my second line center. Here's a quick thought experiment. If uh, if you had the best defensive player in the game, but he only put up maybe 15 points a season, would he be <sighs> worthy of a top six position? But the, but my thing is, though, that like, why would... Or actually, well, 
here's the thing. What in this hypothetical scenario, what is he producing offensively in terms of just like impact rather than points? Sure. Let's say it's just kind of like a, a, a sub below average offensive impact. I don't, I, I don't know. That, that'd be tough. I would say second or third, just because like if you're if you're above average offensively or even average, those should eventually translate into some points. Like if you're only getting 15 points, that just mean that just means you'd have like no shooting talent or no finishing ability. I don't know. It just I See, I, I couldn't I have someone like that in my first line. See, I, I, I'm of the opinion that just like uh, we're, we're coming around on offensive defensemen being um, very valuable to the team, defensive forwards also have an extreme value to the team. And I think Pacho is, is a prime example of that. And uh, not it's, it's, it's great because he not only provides so much value defensively, but he's also uh, been a great offensive player too. Um, yeah, and not, not only this season too, but in the past seasons too, his offensive impact has been uh, maybe not as high as this season, but still uh, above average. So, um, yeah. But, I, I, but to me, though, like, I, shouldn't those eventually translate into more points? I guess you could say that they are this season. Um, but, like, shouldn't that mean he's, you know, trending upwards and he's eventually going to be a consistent 40 to 45-point player as opposed to, like, a 30-point guy? Not always, because there's so many factors that get skewed into into when we talk about points. Sure, and I think that sure. that and I think that starting with points as as the as the result as as the end goal, I think is a very flawed place that we need to be, or a very flawed place to start. So, uh, if, if we look at uh, these team isolates and all these great models that are being produced by people like uh, the Evolving Wild Twins and Mike and McCurdy, then I think that's probably um, a better place to start from a valuation perspective. For sure, and. I'm sort of arguing against myself if I say no that they aren't <laughs> because I've used those <laughs> in the past too. So I'm kind of conflicted here. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems like you're not too upset with the loss of him though. So like, can I say that <laughs> you're you're thinking that he's a replaceable a replaceable player though? Uh, I think that his value will diminish in the future just because he's, he's yeah. he'll be getting up there in age, and six years is definitely too much. And and I'm happy with her turn too. But I think the last thing that we need to cover with Pajot is just the impact and his legacy with the team, um, because he has been such a beloved player um, <laughs> to both you and I and to all the fans out there. Um, I mean, he, he's been uh, amazing in the community. He's Ottawa native. He's he's uh, done a lot with the, uh, the French relations with the team. Uh, like he's helped out, he's helped up with that massively. He's been uh, one of the team's faces of the franchise, even though he's, uh, um, even though he hasn't uh, necessarily been one of those uh, superstar point producers. Um, he's 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 uh, yeah. I mean, he he has those re- legendary performances too. Um, anything else you want to tribute to uh, Pajot? Yeah, I mean, he he's definitely going to be missed by a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. I think it it hurts more for people who really love Pajot just because of the fact that Ottawa's lost Stone and Carlson and Turris and all these guys recently too. So it's, you know, if Pajot was the only one to go recently, I don't think it would be as big of a hit. But um, yeah, I can sympathize with people who really didn't want to see him go. Um, Like you said, he was was great in the community and um, you you could have made a case for him being the captain next season. Um, So yeah, it's, he'll be missed. But at the end of the day, 
this is a business and I, I think this was a much easier decision to make in terms of hockey operations compared to say the Carlson trade or the stone trade or things like that. So um, yeah, he's, yeah. you know, has, has those two playoff hat tricks and will always have that. And I'm, you know, going to constantly be looking back at highlights of those. Totally. And let's hope he just keeps destroying the Habs as an Islanders yes. player. So, uh, yeah, still other, being the, on the East yeah, coast. So totally. Yeah. And, uh, one other thing, one other thing I want to talk about with this trade, I was, I was talking with, uh, Ari Maharaj, uh, another silver seven writer earlier. And, and, uh, he brought up an excellent point that this really feels like it could be the last trade of, of tearing down the team. Yeah. D- does it feel that way? Yeah. I mean, who else is it? like maybe tyranny in the off season, I guess we can get into that later, but yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, it really just feels like a, a a bit of a turning point for the franchise at this point because they've just don't have anyone else to trade at this point in in the, in uh, the rebuild. So it seems like we'll get into this, this a lot more later. But they've uh, seems like they've stockpiled their picks, and it's now just a matter of of uh, making this rebuild work and building towards that uh, quote unquote unparalleled unparalleled success. So yeah, for uh, sure, it's quite it's a like turning a, point. Yeah, definitely a turning point today. Um, let's move on to trade number. What am I on? One, two, three, four, five. Uh, <laughs> this is a bit more, another minor trade, so I'll probably just go through this quickly. But the Sens acquired uh, Matthew Pekka from the Montreal Canadiens today uh, in exchange for Aaron Luchuk and their seventh round pick in uh, this year's draft. Um, super, super cheap acquisition. Matthew Pekka is going to be an unrestric- unrestricted free agent at the end of this season uh, as a centerman. He'll basically be... Uh, plucked into the lineup. Um, I actually think it's kind of funny today. Um, I mean, by the time you'll hear this, this game's already over, but it seems like uh, the Sens will have to start the game down two forwards <laughs> because Matthew yeah. Pekka and Rudolph Balsers, who was just recalled, won't be able to make it on time. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a bit of an odd situation, but uh, I'm sure all of you listening know how it gets resolved. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. really all there is to it. I think it's also really interesting to mention, uh, you know, if you don't know who Aaron Luchuk is, oh yeah, <laughs> um, you we literally said his name 20 minutes ago. I I wonder he he must be one of or maybe the only player. Um, it you know at at most a few players have had this happen where they have been traded twice by the same organization while never even playing a game in the NHL. Because Ian Cole. <laughs> no, no, I mean. Wait, Ian Cole, he said? Yeah, I remember Ian Cole, I think it was. No, 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 sorry, sorry. I mean, like, traded, because he's been traded twice by the Senators. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a bit odd. Uh, last trade, then, we had Tyler Ennis going to the Edmonton Oilers for a fifth-round pick in 2021. Um, thoughts on that deal? Yeah, I guess it's kind of similar to the DeMello trade that was underwhelming, even though the stakes weren't as as uh, big for that, this the Tyler Ennis trade, I think. Um, just in the fact that like they only got um, a fifth round pick for Ennis, and I, I thought they would get more for him. I guess it's also similar to the Nemestikov trade in a way. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of like they got something for Ennis, and if they just held on to him and played him up for the rest of the year, they could have just easily done that and skimped on getting another fifth round pick. So um, Ennis has been, uh, I think, underrated as well this year. I think he's had a, a tremendous impact on uh, the Suns' forward core. That I think can't be uh, um, uh, can't go uh, unnoticed. So 
I'm glad he was here. I think he helped White also as well, being paired with uh, Colin White and helped, helping him through his struggles too. So um, I think it was definitely a successful UFA signing. Uh, got a pick out of him. So uh, yeah, I guess best of luck to him in Edmonton, I guess. They got a, a good depth player. Yeah, that was, I mean, from Edmonton's perspective, just a great deal they got. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in terms of impact, he's probably just as good as guys that went for second round picks. So um, I have a theory. I wonder if... Because the Ennis trade came, what, maybe like an hour or like an hour and a half before the deadline. I wonder if it was essentially Dorian could uh, make this deal or it was nothing. Because Edmonton had already traded two second rounders for Andreas Athanasiu and they traded their fourth for Mike Green. So I wonder if, you know, Edmonton didn't really want to give up any more higher picks. So the fifth was the most they're willing to give up. And then perhaps other teams weren't really willing to offer anything for Ennis. So um, that's yeah, it, a theory, but it's possible. Yeah, it, it was weird. As soon as they traded for Athens, you, I thought they'd be out of the running for for Ennis. Yeah, because they're 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 similar players. They're super they're super fast um, depth wingers. I mean, of course, Athens you is younger and has uh, more control uh, since he's still an RFA. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that Edmonton is really going going for it this year, and that thing. Yeah, uh, I, I watched uh, the, their press conference afterwards, and yeah, they they really just want to um, show their their fans that they can actually do something this year when uh, centered around guys like uh, McDavid and Drysdale. And I mean, kudos to them. I still think they got some pretty big flaws, but uh, yeah, I don't. Know. You know, yeah. At the end of the day, too, for um, from Dorian's perspective, he essentially got a free fifth round pick with him. So. Um, yeah. great signing in the summer, only $800,000, scored a bunch of points, helped out players like White, like you said. Um, so yeah, it was a good signing. Totally. And so that was it for all the trades. Um, it was actually a pretty busy day compared to a bunch of other teams for the Sens, especially with the, with the Pajot deal and how that transpired. But there were also some uh, players who just weren't traded, and I'll kind of go through these quickly because they're all kind of similar. Uh, Ron Hainsey was not traded. Um, which I think was pretty unlikely, as as we knew uh, uh, Mark Porvietsky was injured and there was a slew of injured defensemen right now. Uh, I think it made it unlikely. Um, I guess that also includes Borvietsky in that as well. He, uh, another pending UFA uh, just being injured made a trade super unlikely for him. Um, Craig Anderson as well. Uh, there were rumors he might be on the move, but uh, Andre Nielsen being injured made it super unlikely. I guess maybe these injuries came at a bad time for the Sens, but... Uh, um, Three other players that we kind of mentioned um, in our uh, last episode, I believe, uh, are Artem Anisimov, Mikhail Bodker, and Scott Sabran. All three depth guys who I just don't really see any teams offering anything. I mean, if Tyler Ennis fetched a fifth-round pick, I don't know I uh, a team would have even given up a seventh for those guys. So it seems unlikely. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is Chris Tierney. Do um, you want to talk about Tierney? A- any thoughts on why he may not have been traded? Yeah, I mean, at least for now, it's more they just need the bodies. Um as you were mentioning earlier, he could be an option to be moved in the summer. He's an RFA, so his contract is up. Um, but obviously, a team trading for him, it, you know, he's still going to have value. So, I, like, long term, he still just doesn't really fit if you're going to have, you know, Colin White, Josh Norris, Logan Brown, potentially even a top five or top ten pick from this draft. Um, yeah, just he, he's a third-line center that... Um, you know, quite frankly, is worse than Pajot. So, uh, yeah, maybe in the short term, he's an option to keep around, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if they looked at what he could get in the offseason. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they start taking some calls from him too. But at the same time, as you mentioned, they just don't need some bodies around. And they really don't have any other options at center besides their prospects. So yeah, um, I, I, unless you want to keep calling White at center, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes for him. But uh, yeah, uh, it what didn't surprise me at all that he wasn't traded today, traded today. But I think this brings me into probably my favorite segment of this episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, talking, it's talking about the draft picks. <laughs> um, yeah, so in 2020, let's break it down. The Suns have three first-round draft picks which is on its own pretty amazing, like pretty awesome. Like three first rounders, that's especially in a deep draft. And I know that Dorian mentioned this in his, his press conference too, is he recognized that this is a deep draft and he's totally right about this. So yeah. um, three but also, I think, I think it's important to note too where those first rounders oh. are going to be because San Jose's pick is almost certainly going to be in the top 10 unless they somehow go on a bit of a run. They're, they're definitely missing the playoffs. And then even the Islanders is probably going to be in the high teens. So it's not like Ottawa has one high pick and two that are going to be around 25 to 30. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And then the Islanders pick as well, as we mentioned, could be yeah, in, in the middle of the round. So uh, three first round picks, uh, four second round picks, too. This is just insane levels of... of <laughs> Yeah, you're laughing on the other end. Yeah, I am too. I mean, this this is just insane. And then two third rounders as well. I mean, yeah, sheesh. Um, I I tweeted about earlier that the Sens are gonna have something like three, something like eight or nine picks before the Pittsburgh Penguins and Vancouver Canucks even make their first pick in the draft. <laughs> wow, that's amazing when you say it like that. Because they have nine, <laughs> three rounds. Yeah, it, it's it's something absolutely bonkers like that and yeah and then they and they also started stockpiling picks for 2021 as well they have three second round picks in 2021 so this is really putting them in a position to uh succeed in the draft but at the same time i mean hopefully they uh they they do the best they can at the draft but yeah 13 picks in this year alone there's seven rounds 13 picks if they pick up another seventh rounder in there somewhere then that's double the picks i mean um, they, would have, they had or they would have had 14 if they didn't yeah. for pekka yeah, and there was there's also other smaller moves like uh, trading from Mike Riley, I think too. They gave up yep. a pick for yep. that. So, yeah, I, I mean it's it's just an absurd amount of picks this year. Um, I, I'm just excited, man. Oh God, I'm so excited. It, it you don't even know how aesthetically ple- well. I guess no, I shouldn't say you don't know. You probably do. How aesthetically pleasing it is to go to the cap friendly page and go to Ottawa's page and see all the draft picks listed there. It's just, oh man. Uh, but at the same time, I'm al- I'm almost nervous for the draft because I just really don't want them to mess it up because it's high as stakes. I was, oh yeah, like as I was tweeting about today, it's this is a franchise altering draft. This could yep. either really cement their rebuild like they could have a much quicker rebuild depending on you know if they pick some really good players in this draft maybe even star level players um but there's been teams have had drafts with lots of players before and they only get one or two okay players and that's certainly a possibility so i'm kind of worried like i i just really want them to do as best as possible um but having said that, you know, even if they get three or four out of 13, that's not even the greatest success rate, but they still get three or four good players from a draft, which is very good. That's like an A-plus level draft. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I, I don't know. I, I always look at the draft board. I, I posted a chart a couple of days ago too, and I'll be updating it uh, tonight about just the draft value that the Suns have. And it's like, even <laughs> before, even before the deadline, they were comically ahead of everybody else. So yeah. I, I can't wait to see uh, what it is after they add that uh, extra first round pick and uh, and second round pick and mm-hmm. fourth and fifth round pick. So well, okay. The thing about that is. They Dorian almost completed uh, draft pick bingo. He traded for a first and a second with Pajot, the third with Demello, the fourth with Nemestikov, the fifth with Ennis, the sixth. It could be a sixth if uh, Max Verano plays ten games in Toronto this season or next season. Right. Forgot about and, that. And they just didn't get the seventh. So they almost get an extra draft class. It, man, that's wild when you put it that way. All right. Yeah. So we're hyped up. Uh, I think it's a good time to get to some blister questions. You can submit them at our uh, uh, Twitter account at CP Pointcast on Twitter. We'll put out a tweet asking for questions. Uh, thanks, everyone who submitted them today. And our first one comes from Robert Lennox on Twitter. Um, why doesn't Ottawa use waivers more effectively? Uh, seems like tons of, of uh, potentially useful players are passed on. Uh, Zykov, uh, Brandon Peary. Uh, is it simple, simply a number of contracts issue? Um, so that's the first question. Second question is, where does Robin Leonard go from here? Uh, he was traded to Vegas today, so I think we have a bit of an answer to that. And uh, last que- and his third question is, uh, what would you pay Brady Kachuk on July 1st? Uh, do you want to start with the first question? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely in the past, I think they haven't used it. Uh, waivers, that is. They haven't used waivers too efficiently. Um, you know, they obviously recently claimed Jace Harlock. Uh, I think sometimes it's due to contract issues. I know earlier in the season, um, because of the Scott Sabaran signing, I remember they didn't want to add another contract. I think that's why they included uh, Nick Ebert in the Nemestikov yeah. deal because they had to ship out a contract. So, yeah, no, you're right, Robert. Um, it would be nice if they used it a bit more often. I'm almost certain they were going to uh, claim Dmitro Timoshov who was waived right, by yeah. Maple Leafs, but then he got claimed by the Red Wings, who were, you know, there's only two teams ahead of Ottawa in the waiver standing. So it seemed like the Matthew Packett trade was just sort of like a panicked trade because Ottawa had no forwards available. So um, Or defensemen yeah. either. Yeah, or defensemen. So um, you're right, though. There are the odd useful players that go on on waivers and a lot of the times they don't get claimed which is kind of strange honestly yeah and i'll answer the third question uh what would we pay uh, what would we pay brady kachuk on july 1st and honestly i don't know i think that's a bit too far out at this point uh i mean he'll is he still has one more year left on his entry level contract and i feel like the sends given their history are going to wait that out for uh how however long they will maybe they'll Polish a bot on us and 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 uh, surprise us, but um, I feel like they'll probably wait and see what he what he did, what, what he's going to do. I mean, he's also he's had an effective year this year. It's, he's been pretty consistent in his first two years. I feel so, um, but I feel like um, unless uh, unless the sense surprise us, I feel like it might just have to wait another year to actually get a good gauge on what the contract might look like. Mm. Would you? Is your first instinct to go eight years? Because I, I think I would. Um, eight years feels maybe a bit rich. Uh, I mean, six or seven years. I mean, at that point, you're really still just going long term either way. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I mean, pretty Kachuk, I feel like he's just such a consistent player in what he does. And I don't really feel like even at his young age, he's going to be getting much better than this because his skill set is so defined and so consistent that 
uh, we know what he's going to get. Uh, so maybe an eight-year deal actually has an effect on the AAV, on the average annual value as well. Yep. So yep. We'll, 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 it's, I think it's still a bit early to be talking about this. For sure, for sure. Um, next one comes in from Alan. He says, say Ottawa gets Lafreniere, do you think they absolutely must draft a center with the other top pick, regardless of who is available? Ottawa doesn't have that potential elite center in their system yet. Um, I agree that they don't have that elite center, like that number one center that will that will piggyback your team to a Stanley Cup yet. Um, and I wouldn't be totally against that. But at the same time, I feel like going for best players available is going to be uh, a, a crucial thing for this draft. And uh, I mean, if Byfield is available, then sure, take Byfield. Um, assuming they already get Lafreniere in this uh, situation. But it's not exactly something I'd be targeting to. And looking at what the Sens, if the Sens do try to target players, they also may just be targeting right shot defensemen as well, just as easily as, as they may be targeting a center. So you look at guys like Jamie Drysdale, and there really isn't anyone after that as that super elite right shot defenseman. So, um, I mean, there, there are certainly good centers available. And if the Sens come away with one of Marco Rossi, Anton Lindell, Cole Perfetti, um, I wouldn't be complaining at all. Um, I mean, it depends where they draft him, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't really be complaining about having getting an elite center like that. So um, I, I, I don't know. It, it really depends on the on the scenario. But I, mm-hmm. whether they should whether they should target players, that's something I, I generally try to uh, advise against. Yeah. And I think ideally you end up with a winger and a center in, in those top two picks. But. You can't force yourself to go that way. I mean, yeah. if if another winger is the best player there or Drysdale is the best player there, take him. Just, you know, worry about it later. Yeah, totally. And there's also debate as well on who that best player will be. So Exactly, yeah. If it comes down to they need to center more and there's good centers and wingers available at that pick, then sure, whatever, go for the center. And I won't complain either way. So um, let's, move, let's move on just a bit. Uh, this next question comes in from uh, Brandon Mackey. I think there's a couple similar questions to this, but uh, given the sense surplus of draft picks and what they are likely to trade uh, and that they're likely to trade some of them for players, uh, who would you guys target and why? Yeah, so um, I definitely agree that they will almost certainly be moving some of these picks. I can't imagine they're going to actually pick 13 times. Um, I don't even know if a team has had that many picks before and used all of them. Um in terms of specific players, oh, it's tough. I mean, obviously, Jesse Pooley-Arvey is a name that's out there. Yeah. Um, Ottawa's traded for similar players like this in the past. They they traded uh, for Nikita Filatov in 2011. They gave up just a third. Um, you know, obviously, trading for Kyle Turris, that was a lot more expensive. I don't know. I I, I could see them going after Pooley-Arvey. Um, I'm not sure what it would cost. Maybe like a second plus something else what that something else else is i don't know um but yeah i don't know do you have any specific names uh, honestly the one player i was thinking of was also Pugliarvi. um but the one thing i say to like if, if they can't draft 13 times like why not just take those yeah, for picks. sure yeah uh like carolina even they drafted 12 players last year which which is i i mean and they had a pretty great draft draft class come out of that too so mm-hmm. um yeah um I, I say just go for the picks, and and also also just because the players that they'll be targeting, it's, it's it's a very unique scenario. If they're trying to target young established players, like 
team, the teams that are trading unestablished players aren't going to be looking for picks, right? Yeah, exactly. In a similar scenario. So I feel like the Jesse Pugliarvi situation is a very unique scenario where something like that would, would, uh, it works out where the teams are kind of looking for, um, where the teams are going to be kind of on the same page and in, in getting what they want, but um, maybe not even for Edmonton, who I guess this year was really trying to contend in trading away picks. So we'll, 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 we'll see. But and if, if the Sens start targeting like established older players, then really the door is open for that. I'd have no idea. My headspace is not even around that area. So yeah, and um, I, w- I remember I was looking at some names who could be available. I remember Andre Kasha was one of them. Obviously, he's with the Bruins yeah. now. And um, yeah, so he won't be an option. It, there really aren't that guys, that many guys out there. So, um, But I I would bet that they end up trading into the late first round with a couple of their second rounders or something like that. Yeah, that seems like a fair bet. Um, if they get four first round picks, my God, watch out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Uh, this next one comes from Spencer Blake. Um, there's two questions again. The second one is uh, pretty much the same as what we just talked about. But the first question is, uh, biggest winner or loser of the deadline? We wide, but could also give us your best and worst deals from the Sens made. Ooh, uh, let's go with Sens first. Um, definitely best deal, Pajot. Um, I think without the Pajot deal, we're probably a bit disappointed with the other returns, um, but it sort of makes up for that. Loser, definitely the DeMello one. That just didn't seem very necessary to me. Um, in terms of teams, ooh, this is tough. Uh, Carol, uh, not Carol, um, Vegas didn't really give up too much in order to get Robin Leonard. I think that yeah. could be a really big get. Um, yeah, yeah, Vegas I, was also Vegas was also my team for the best, but I also wanted. Uh, I also think it's worth shouting out the Islanders as well, who not only got Pajot, who I, I think was probably one of the biggest, um, who's probably the, one of the biggest players traded today, but they also avoided trading for Zach Parisi. So that deal <laughs> fell through, it seems, last minute. So And that would have been awful for them. So, oh, man. I mean, uh, they also gave up a lot of assets for Andy Green, too. So I don't think their asset management was the greatest, giving yeah, totally. up a first and two second round picks for Pajot and Green. Yeah. Which is totally fair, but I mean, it's hard to pick. Well, it's hard to pick these winners when yeah. it, it's it's yeah. When it's I mean, mostly, I guess it's, it's mostly just depth fodder that's being exchanged at the deadline. So yeah. yeah, I guess you could say too that the Leafs, um, not doing anything is. I don't know if you'd call them a loser because they've they've made moves, um, over the past year in order to to get better. But I think their fans want to see a lot more than that, and they didn't really do anything. Yeah. And as for losers, um, I don't know. I feel like that uh, Barkley Good- Goodrow trade for Tampa, giving oh, up a first-round pick, was uh, pretty rough. Uh, that's yeah. the only one that really comes to mind for me as something that was like really off. Like, what? what? Why are they doing that? But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anything else you have in mind? Um, mainly, mainly the green one. The green one was the at, at the front of my mind. Um, but yeah, I, I will say. I have no idea what the value of certain players is right now because, yeah. you know, Dylan DeMello is going for third. Old veteran defensemen are going for a second or two seconds. And, you know, even even with the forwards, it, it totally varies. I mean, I think J.G. Pajot went for essentially the same price as Tyler Toffoli, um, who got a second in Tyler Madden. Um 
And yeah, I'm surprised he got as much as he did. So it was just all over the place in terms of value, like Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow getting first round picks. Just, yeah. just wild. Yeah. And whether you want to call them a winner or you want to call them a loser, but the National Predators acquiring Ben Harper is a pretty uh, inspi- <laughs> inspired move, I'd say. So. Uh, he uh, he likes to shoot the puck in transition, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's see. Next one comes in from Swiss NHL Insight. He says, price for rentals is down, price for extra years up. Is that something GMs can consider when signing cheap deals in the summer? Brackets. Ennis as an example, or slightly high, slightly higher caliber. Yeah, I think it's definitely something worth considering. I feel like teams have been doing this for a while, actually, uh, is is just signing these cheap deals of players and, and seeing what they can get for them at the deadline. And I think the Suns did exactly that with Ennis and, and I guess, Nemestikov to sort of an extent. But um, yeah, I, I, if the Suns can do that again next year, I mean, I, I, I don't expect the Suns to be good next year either, but if they can... Uh, uh, do that where they can just sign some depth players who could be effective as Ennis and then um, trade them for a pick. I mean, sure, all the better. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like there's a couple more. Um, yeah, I'll read the next one, one, actually. Sure, go for it. Uh, this one's from Tate Frazier. Uh, with such an insane stock of picks, or actually, you know what? We just, we already Yeah, I was going to say, we, we essentially answered the, that one. Um, yes, yes. Well, maybe, well, I think we should touch on what would you do? Because that, that was his, the last part to the question. Um, okay. Yeah, if, if you had all those picks. Yeah, what, what I would do, yeah, i just make all of them. I, I'd actually even try to trade down for more picks. Just get as many picks <laughs> yeah. as possible. Um, make all the best draft picks we can. Um, yeah, just, just kill it at the draft and go from there. Yeah, I mean, I... I would mostly do that. I would try to see what it would cost to, to move up maybe somewhere in the first round. But... Um, yeah, I, there's there's no real point into trading as many picks as possible just for for the sake of it. Um, this one's also kind of related from Johnny Eaton, and I'll answer this one. Uh, is, is the is 2020 the caliber of draft year that you think it's it's uh, significant that the Suns have so many picks, or could this be a dud? And I've been preaching this all year, Johnny. This year is freaking amazing it's gonna be <laughs> especially at the top for the sense to have two picks there is uh unbelievable um they're gonna get two elite players without a doubt in my mind um unless they screw it up but i'm not i, I don't want to i don't want to even think about that but yeah it, it's, it's not even just the top of the draft too i mean it, it's uh Doran even mentioned this in his press conference is is depth all in the first three rounds and i argue even past that um will scouch uh love his youtube channel um, shout it! Uh, shout out to him. Uh, does research on uh, on a stat called NHLE, which is kind of a semi model of his, I guess. Which uh, um, if you're, I think it's above 20 NHLE, then you're, you're generally considered a first round talent. And there's uh, well over 40 players this year, plus a, a few other exceptions who could be included because of uh, European point totals being weird. Um, well, over 40 players who could be considered a, a legitimate first round talent, and and you don't find that often you don't find that like ever so um yeah, yeah. Just, just just hyping up this draft class even more uh maybe it'll be disappointing in the end because i'm hyping it up so much but <laughs> hey uh, i would just, i don't know may as well ride the hype while while it lasts for sure um there was one more that uh tom had replied to my tweet do you have any okay. others besides that one yeah i think that's the last one okay um 
he had a bunch, so we can uh, we can try to answer these quickly. So, um, so and some of the we answered, but I'll start with the other ones. He goes, how does the goalie situation play out next year? Uh, is Andy back? One year of Decord, Gustafson in NHL. He says, um, and then he's saying fifteenth overall. Who do you who should we pick? Um, he's asking about Declare. Oh man, there's a lot of questions. Where does Belleville finish? Yeah, well, I don't know. Any let's thoughts on, on those questions? Uh, let's start with the goalie situation. I feel like it's pretty clear next year is going to be uh, Andres Nielsen and Marcus Hogberg tandem. Um, unless someone like Gustafson or Decord like, really breaks out in training camp, then I don't really see any other situation. It actually would be cool if the Sens have to force themselves into a decision to uh, uh, to trade a goalie similar to how they uh, had to choose between Leonard and Bishop, just because they have all these goalie prospects who are finally becoming ready for the NHL. Um, maybe it's a bit too early to call that on guys like Decord and Gustafson, but um, yeah, if, if they're pushing next year, it could get interesting. But for now, yeah, it seems like uh, uh, Nielsen and Hogberg. Uh, what, what, do you want to take the next question of that? Um, let's see. Well, there was one about the draft. I'll, I'll answer about Declare. Um, I think he definitely resigns. Um, after this real cold stretch, though. I think it's more of a shorter term deal. Maybe he gets two years or something like that. Um, he's still an RFA, so I don't think he'll be too expensive. Um, and I would definitely keep him around. I think he's, he's worth keeping. I think long term, yeah. he's more of a fit for like a Dzingle role where you don't really want to be relying on him in the top six just because he hasn't been very good defensively. But, um, yep. you know, he's still he's still a good score to have around. Yeah, totally agree with that. <laughs> you mentioned those other questions. What was the next one? I totally forgot. Yeah. Um, well, he was asking who could Ottawa take with the Islanders pick. Ooh, man. Uh, let me pull that up really quickly because I got uh, this whole sheet. If you hadn't heard about it, it's all about expected range. I've been I've been working on this pretty hard. But if the Sens are picking around the, um, I don't know, 15 to 20 range, I'd probably talk someone like Jan Misak, who is probably going to be... Um, uh, he seems to be following on a lot of, of mainstream scouts lists. Um, some he's not even included on some lists, which I find very surprising. But uh, he's come over to, I believe, it's the Hamilton Bulldogs uh, from the Czech League. And even in the Czech League, he was putting up incredible numbers. And, and, and now in Hamilton, he's just proving that even more. He's such a dynamic uh, goal scorer, too. Um, Dawson Mercer, as well, I think, has gone under the radar. QMJHLer putting up better numbers than Hubert Oden in his draft year and, and Nico his year. And he's projected to go from 12th to 22nd. And he was on Canada, the Road Juniors. Um, yeah, uh, those are two guys I probably target. Um, if they're working for a defenseman, I'd say probably Lucas Cormier is probably my favorite option. Um, QMJ, another QMJHL defenseman. Actually, it's a pretty great year for the QMJHL this year. But um, left shot defenseman, I mean, the Sens maybe have enough of those. But uh, again, such a dynamic player, loves to shoot the puck. Um I don't know. Those are kind of three options. There, there's, there's so many directions they could go, though. Yeah. Um. By that point, it just like totally opens up, so it's really hard to pin down. But, um, and then, yeah. So he's also asking about where does Belleville finish this year, and then brackets playoffs. So I guess I think he wants to know how far they will go. I guess because right now they're second overall in the league. Um, I could easily see them making the conference finals, finals, maybe even winning it all. Go all um, the way, yeah. They're, they're a pretty stacked team, especially when, you know, they're going to be having Batherson and Norris and Brown and 
I think I think Hogberg is el- eligible as well. So yeah, that's going to be a stacked team, and uh, yeah, they could easily win it all. Awesome. Is that where we end it? Yeah, let's let's end it there. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of great uh, a lot of great trade talk, and it, it's funny now that it's ended because we've had this trade speculation since I don't know September. Um, and like you said, I, I I didn't really think about it, the fact that that Pajot trade, or I guess sort of the NS trade, symbolizes the end of, I guess, trading off pieces, right? Like, I think yeah. from now on, they have to kind of build. Um, so hopefully this is, you know, the beginning of a new era, and what better way to start off with 13 picks in the 2020 draft? Yeah, excited for the draft. We'll be back in a couple weeks.